Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, a passage that it was suggested you read last evening in preparation for this sermon. Ephesians chapter 5, John 16 and verse 8, we had earlier today when Jesus told his apostles it was expedient for him that he went away and he would send the Holy Spirit in his place. And John 16, 8 told us, and when he has come, he will reprove the world. And the Holy Spirit reproved the world through the ministries of the apostles. But he has a reproving ministry for us as well. I asked you to read last evening, Ephesians chapter 5, 1 through 17. Right now, I would like to read verses 11 through 13 inside that passage. Ephesians 5.11 And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things are reproved, all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. So in verse 11 we have the word reprove, and in verse 13 we have the word reprove. And this is not a pastoral epistle, this is a general epistle written by Paul to the church at Ephesus. And so we want to think about this second service. What can we, should we, be doing ourselves to reprove the world? We've been chosen out of this world, and we're given a responsibility toward the world. We're not supposed to love the world. We're not supposed to fellowship with it. We're not supposed to befriend it, but we are supposed to reprove it. How should we best reprove it? The difficulty with this subject is to narrow down our focus to just a few places in Scripture because over the decades, it's been preached at length to you. Many years ago, it was entitled, Actions Speak Louder Than Words many pages. A long time ago, it was entitled, Things Becoming Sound Doctrine, from a different passage of Scripture. So right now, I do not want to be that long, and I want it to be one sermon, and I just want to remind you that the apostles had the great work of reproving, but we have one ourselves. And I hope that we as a church will do it the way the Lord wants us to do it. Most churches make it their mission to fulfill the Great Commission, which is wrong several ways, and it gets them waylaid from what the Bible does actually teach them about their duty to reprove others. As a result, zealous Christians preach on streets, not taught in the Bible, hand out tracts, speak out foolishly, and want to debate. These things are not taught in the Bible. They're not duties in the general epistles for church members to worry about in their lives. There are plenty of duties in the general epistles for you to worry about in your lives other than that. The New Testament epistles are quiet about verbal witnessing by Christians, but they are not quiet about your lifestyle. New Testament epistles also do not speak of full-time Christian service as most conservative Christians exalt. When the Bible speaks of as close as it gets in the Bible, of speaking of full-time service to Christ, it's on the job. It's Colossians 3, 22 through 25. Because on the job, if you do it as unto the Lord, 
You serve the Lord Christ on the job. And that's where the Bible puts the emphasis. So regardless of what traditional religions have done and denominations teach and the world's most unusual university might press on its students, we're just going to stick with the Word of God and follow its emphasis. And its emphasis is not verbal sparring. The men in the Word of God did not verbally spar. The apostles verbally sparred. They were called to do it. John the Baptist was called to do it. You weren't called to verbally spar with President Trump. John the Baptist was called to verbally spar with Herod, and he did it. And his wife, wrongfully taken, had him killed for it, if you'll remember. But that was John the Baptist. I mentioned Nehemiah this morning. Nehemiah pulled their hair out, cursed them in the name of the Lord, and smote them. God hasn't called you to do that. He was the governor of Judah. He was responsible for 45,000 people that had come back from Babylon to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. He was the Tershatha. It was his job to press their duties upon them with that kind of fervency. Jude chapter 1 and verse 3 says that we're to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. But that's inside the church. You're not supposed to earnestly contend out in the street. Those, the men of the Bible didn't do it unless they were called to a ministry of doing it. They just got, they got along. Joseph got along in Egypt. Esther got along in Persia. Daniel got along in Babylon. He did not offend people by shooting off his mouth about his faith. Only when he was pressed did it come out. And we need to separate ourselves from those churches that think we have a duty to always be talking about the Lord on the job. The Bible doesn't teach that. We want to separate ourselves from the false idea of zeal. Zeal is not shooting off our mouths. Zeal is not arguing in the workplace. Zeal is living Christianity consistently so there is no claim against us that we're a hypocrite. But we instead reprove the world. Look at this reproving that is in verse 11 and in verse 13. And there's no mention here of words. And let me explain to you why there can't be words. If the Christians at that time were to be talking about their religion on the job, they would have all been fired. Because it was offensive to hear about Jesus of Nazareth against the idolatry and the paganism of the people they were working with. And they were told to go ahead and company with pagan idolaters on the job because they couldn't go out of the world and they weren't supposed to go out of the world. If an unbeliever bids you to a block party where he was serving up the ox that he offered to Jupiter or Zeus, it doesn't matter, you didn't go down there and rebuke him for his religion. You went down there and filled your children as full as you could get them and brought home what you could for the freezer. Because the Bible simply says if you're disposed to go, go and eat. He didn't say... If an unbeliever bids you, that's an opening. Go down and take his scalp while you're eating his food. The Bible doesn't teach that. And so what we, we have a couple of enemies at least. One enemy is the pressing of evangelism by Arminians 
who do not understand the Great Commission was fulfilled and they haven't read really the epistles of the New Testament where there isn't one verse about going out and winning the lost at any cost. It's just not there. And the other thing is our own zeal and our own ideas of what zeal is. Zeal, as God measures it for us in the New Testament, is a holy and a righteous and a faultless and a consistent life that reproves the world by them watching us. And that's what we want to aim for here in just a little while in some of these few passages that I have. Let's fulfill our spirit-led, spirit-empowered lives like the apostles did theirs. They fulfilled their commission well. We have a commission. And we can do all things through Christ which strengthens us. If we have a problem with our mouths, there is power in the Holy Ghost for us to restrain our speech. If we have a problem with authority, whether it's the boss and the way we respond to him or the civil government and the rules that it provides for motor vehicles, we have a duty and we have a power from the Holy Spirit to be able to live in a way that shuts their mouths. And we reprove them by showing that we endorse all the spheres of authority that God's put in our lives. If I correct someone on the job for not respecting their boss like they should, but they know that I don't obey all the laws of the land, the laws of our country, I'm a hypocrite. I encourage them and endorse them to be disrespectful to their boss because I do it to my king or I do it to my president, or I do it to some other civil ruler or magistrate that I have. This is what I want. to. I want you to submit yourself to the word of God and for our church to be a real light in everyone that meets us because of the way we conduct ourselves without talking. The Bible talks about converting people without the word. And that is one of the most difficult relationships of life, and that is a spouse. And the Bible says that a spouse, that's 24-7. You know, you're only with your boss 40, 50 hours a week. That's easy. That's only a third of your time. But 24-7 with a spouse, the Bible says you can win a spouse without the word. And that's what I want to, and we'll come to that verse in just a moment. We're right now, we're in Ephesians chapter 5. I want to start at verse 7. And just quickly look at some of the verses around 11 through 13. Verse 7 be not ye therefore partakers with them. We start by not partaking of the world's sins because our sinful living is over and done. We lived sinfully in a time past in our lives. And so it says that in verse 6, let no man deceive you with vain words for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. And if you back up through the verses in front of Ephesians 5, 7, it explains that we have a different lifestyle than they do. While they are given to fornication, uncleanness, or covetousness, we don't let it be named among us once. While they're given to filthiness, foolish talking, or jesting, three things which are not convenient, we instead give thanks. So we're always thankful. So on the job, I'm thankful for this job. I'm thankful for this company. I'm thankful for our president. 
I'm thankful for 385. Instead of complaining about the construction on 385, how about being thankful for them laying 385 about 18 inches thick with re-rod and all sorts of extra efforts to make sure that road's there in a year or two? There's always something to give thanks for. And right here in this context, they do this, we do that. They do this, we do that. We're different. And we reprove them. While they're complaining, whining, joking, jesting, cutting, ripping, sarcastically talking, we are giving thanks. Without saying a word about our religion, about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, His position at the right hand of God, He's coming again to judge the world, we don't have to say any of that. We condemn them. We reprove them. They know. They know that we're different, and they know that the difference is better. It does not matter what they say. We have reproved them by a better choice of living than they have. Psalm 131 was excellent this morning, Daniel. And it's part of it. We have got to get rid of all pride because pride can be smelled. And we don't want to have it. And especially when we're out there, well, we don't want to have it anywhere because the Lord sees it anywhere at any time. But we start, verse 7, don't partake with them. Be different. Not just to be different, but to be different on moral issues. And the moral issues are described here as being sexual things and speech things. So in sex and in speech, and you know, we could add a few more just to give ourselves a few simple things that we can remember. I like to remind our young teenage men that want to get baptized that they better be managing A and S in their lives. Because those are the two biggest threats to a young man. Well, along with foolishness, So in Titus chapter 2, it exhorts young men to be sober-minded. But that's part of speech right here and your conduct. While they're doing one type of living or a lifestyle, we're different. We don't try to be different. We We don't wear goofy clothes. We don't do our hair in some goofy way. We don't talk in some goofy way to be different that way. We want to be different by living righteously and morally the way God's taught us to in the Bible in opposition to what they do. So we have verse 7. We come to verse 8 because we've already had our chance to live in darkness. For ye were sometimes darkness, verse 8 tells us. But now are ye light in the Lord, walk as children of light. We used to be with them. We used to be like them. But now it's different and we ought to be different. We ought to be harmless and blameless. The sons of God, I just forgot. Can someone help me? Without rebuke. Without rebuke. Nothing to be said against us. In a crooked and perverse generation among whom we shine as lights in the world. That's what our goal is. Because we were darkness, but now we're light. We should walk as children of light. It doesn't say we should talk as children of light. It doesn't say we should tell them what light is. We're supposed to walk as children of light. Verse 9, here comes the Holy Spirit in, and it's in parentheses, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. That is being a child of light. What does it mean to walk in the light? The things in verse 9. The fruit of the Spirit is on all goodness, all goodness, moral goodness, righteousness is defined by God, and truth, honesty and integrity in everything that we do. Verse 10, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. We demonstrate to the world what God expects of a person's life. 
We don't prove it as whether it's right or wrong. We know it's right because the Bible tells us it's right, but we demonstrate it to the world. We show the world. That's what it, the word prove means here, and it's what it means in Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove. There is no proving necessary to determine that what's in the Bible is right or wrong. It is right. But we demonstrate it to the world by living it. And so that is stated right here in verse 10. Then verse 11, there's been nothing about talking except talking less and not talking like them, but giving of thanks. If you want to say that giving of thanks is the talking that you do on the job, I commend you in the name of Jesus Christ for doing that. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. That means there is no unnecessary social interaction with unbelievers. Unnecessary, unprofitable, extraneous social interaction with unbelievers. You don't have any fellowship with them. You work with them. You buy from them. You sell to them. You let them cut your grass. You let them shingle your roof. But you don't have friendship with them but rather reprove them by having a different lifestyle. There's no words mentioned here. There's no words described here. There's no words mentioned elsewhere. And if the word reproof here in your mind is supposed to be telling every unbeliever that you meet that they're wrong, that would violate all the other verses of the New Testament. That is not your job. But it is your job to reprove them by your life. And that is what it's describing here by walking in the light and walking in the spirit and letting a different lifestyle reprove them if you're reading the context. So for two reasons, the context and number two, if you're telling the world around you all the time that they're wrong, you won't have a job and you'll be violating the places in the Bible where you're supposed to be getting along with them. Verse 12, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Worldlings are so despicable to God, and some of their sins, especially in our, well, it's publicized in our generation now, we don't need to ever speak of them lightly or frivolously because they're serious sins in the sight of God. And it shows just how much God does not want us having fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness of this world. Verse 13, but all things that are reproved, how do we reprove? It's going to tell us. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. So when our light of a Christian life shines on them, it makes manifest their sins. That is exactly what Jesus did and what happened to Jesus. He said they have no cloak for their sins, men. John 15, 22 through 25. Because of my words to them and because of my miracles backing up my words, they have no cloak for their sin. They had no sin until I came along. They thought everything was okay till I came along. Right. But when we're on the job site, it's not okay for them if we're walking in the light. It doesn't tell us to talk the light, tell them about the light, tell them about Christ. It doesn't say any of that. It just says... That whatsoever doth make manifest is light. And it told us up in verse 8 that light is how we're supposed to walk. Walk as children of light. 
in the fruit of the Spirit of verse 9. And then if we were to keep reading, we would go on into verses 14, where it says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest. And these are not words that we say to men we work with. These are words Paul said to the church at Ephesus. Awake thou that sleepest, you carnal Christian, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. You will have the energy and the truth and the knowledge inside you by the Holy Spirit if you're, if you're seeking Christ to be able to walk in the light, and by walking in the light, you reprove the world around you. Reproving here is by actions. In fact, to get along, we avoid words. It's not our job. We haven't been called to it. I've been called to it. You haven't been called to it. Let's go to Proverbs 28. Proverbs chapter 28. They know how consistent you are. They know how honest you are. They know how much you actually submit to authority. They know what spirit you have toward the five spheres of authority in your life. They know how merciful you are. They can, it's pretty easy to see all those things. They know if you guard your speech or not. They may not know Ephesians 5.3, but they know if you're giving of thanks more than any of them and you're jesting less than any of them, and I hope that it's better than that, they know the difference. And the difference exposes them. The difference manifests them, and that is the reproof of Ephesians 5. It's not blasting them. The Holy Spirit's not going to give you words to say. The Holy Spirit isn't going to speak through you. He never promised that to you. He's not going to bring all things to your remembrance. He doesn't do that for you. He did that for the apostles. But what he did is he put down in writing for you to know how you ought to work in this world. Proverbs 28 and verse 4. They that forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. That is a wonderful verse. Will you submit to Scripture and what it says about proper evangelism and get rid of any foolish urge to debate? He hasn't called you to debate. Did you know that debate's a sin in the New Testament? Have you ever found it? Do you know that it's in Romans chapter 1, along with other sins that are called things which are not convenient? Debate's in there. Debate's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. How many colleagues have you converted? Since you spend so much time with them for so many years, how many? We hate the world around us. And we hate the world around us as it becomes more blatant in describing its sinfulness and rebellion against Bible Christianity. But if you really hate the world around you, then this verse is for you right here. They that forsake the law praise the wicked. Where are you not keeping God's word because you praise the wicked? When you disobey and they know what you're supposed to be doing. When you disobey, you praise the wicked. When you drive past an immaterial margin with our speed limits, you praise the wicked. Because the Bible says, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. And that is not driving as fast as I can to not get caught today. We've been over all that before. And I'm not going to chase all these rabbits. I just want you to be thinking your speech. Where you break the law, you know, we, 
I hope that everyone in here despises sitcoms. But when you jest, or if I jest, we endure sitcoms that we hate. And so it's, it tells us, they that forsake the law praise the wicked. Wherever you forsake the law, God's commandments. Faithfulness is one of God's commandments. We heard it this morning. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6. Every man will say that he's a good man, but a faithful man who can find? Proverbs 20 and verse 6. Consistent. Same in, same. Day in, day out. Where are you breaking down in God's law? By not keeping it, you praise the wicked. You don't just allow the wicked, you praise the wicked. This is how God wants us to reprove them. And so it says in verse, the second half of the verse, but such as keep the law, contend with them. If you keep our driving laws, if you keep the speech laws of the Bible, if you obey all the laws of your company, your supervisor, manager, or owner, whoever it might be, if you're doing those things, then look at what this verse says. You contend with them. See, everyone wants Jude 1.3. Earnestly contend for the faith. Everyone wants Nehemiah 13.23. Nehemiah contended with them by pulling their hair, smiting them, and cursing them. But those were different situations. Nehemiah was the governor. Jude is in the church. This is in the world. God's never called you to open your mouth. God's called you to show them your life. And he said it over and over again. That's how you show your light. Let your light shine. That's your life. Reprove them by your life. Walk as as the children of light. As we read in Ephesians 5, and right here, it's so plain. I want to contend, and I want our church to contend against the wicked. We don't take ads out in newspapers to rip them for this or rip them for that. We have sermons. They know it's a religious website. If they come into it, then they're responsible for what they run into. But we don't advertise it on their venues. They that forsake the law praise the wicked. That should haunt us. When you disobey God's rules, you praise the wicked. But when we keep God's rules, we contend with them because there is this salty influence left in the earth Salt is not you rubbing it in their wounds. Salt is not you cutting them and leaving a wound to rub salt into. Salt is the way you live. Salt is the different lifestyle that's the lifestyle of light that reproves the lifestyle of darkness. You hate abortion? What are you going to do about it? What does the Bible want you to do about it? Picket an abortion clinic? That's not taught in the Bible. That's a waste of time. Why did you think of it? Where did it come from? Do you want to contend against abortionists? Then have the greatest family possible with your children and grandchildren. That's keeping the law. That contends against those that would kill their babies. You hate divorce? You're going to write an editorial to the newspaper? about divorce, you hate divorce, then have a great marriage. A great marriage. A romantic, loving, faithful, consistent marriage. You hate sodomy? Then show it by beautifying the role that God's given you. 
the sexual gender that he's given you. Glorify it. Be the best. You're sick of rebellion and disregard of authority? Then submit yourself to all five, all five spheres of authority in your life. Let's turn to Proverbs 20 and verse 11, since we're in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 20. There is so much that could be said on this. Let's look at a few places. Proverbs 20 and verse 11. Even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. This is God's word. I preach God's word, and I don't apologize for it, and I don't modify it, and I don't care what anyone thinks against God's word. This is God's word. You're known by your doings. You're not known by your talkings. You're not known by your speakings. God doesn't care. We don't care. And the world hates you when you talk. Because they want you to live it. They didn't ask for you to open your mouth. When they ask you, that's a very different thing. But not until they ask you, should you open your mouth. 20 and 11. Even a child, even children that don't have character that is known as well as an adult are known by their doings whether his work be pure and whether it be right. And we want to be known at all times, he is a pure man. He has pure thoughts, pure speech, pure conduct. He is just, he is honest, he is virtuous. He is good, he is morally right, he is morally sound, he is faithful, he is consistent, he's honest, he's prudent, he's obedient, he's submissive, he's respectful, all those things, that's pure and that's good. And how is it known? One way, by their doings. By their doings. It's harder to lie with your life than with your mouth. Your life proves your religion. Everyone knows your heart by your life, no matter what you hide or what you think. Let this burden crush us. The louder your talk, the louder your walk had better be. If you're going to open your mouth, then you better be the most virtuous, righteous, holy person since Paul. Because you're begging for it from God, angels, and men because you're opening your mouth. Let's just show them by our lives. A good tree does not bear bad fruit. There shouldn't be bad fruit in your life, in any, in any part of life. Speech, thought, submission, authority, sex, marriage, love, honesty, diligence, traffic laws, whatever I can think of to get your attention, the louder your talk, the louder your walk better be. And a good tree doesn't have bad fruit. You can repent and start bearing good fruit today. Let, let the, the limbs on your tree be full of good fruit which is the good and pure things right here of Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 11. Exceptions prove a rule. You say, well, what about David? That was an exception. If you have exceptions, no one cares. Exceptions prove the general rule that David was a faithful, good, honest man that people loved. He was known that way before and after his adultery and murder in the Bible. If this rule is true, if Proverbs 20 and verse 11 is true, even a child is known by his doings, 
whether his work be pure and whether it be right, the character of a child is known by his doings. If that rule is true, I think it is, it's the Bible, then we ought to add the rule of James 1, 19 through 20, to stop talking. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, because the wrath of man never works the righteousness of God. The wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. So we could take James 1, 19 and 20 and stick it here beside Proverbs 20 and verse 11. Why am I on this subject? Because the apostles did their job of reproving the world and the apostles wrote down in Ephesians 5 how we're supposed to reprove the world and this is how we're supposed to do it. We're supposed to do it by our lives. We then adorn the gospel. We beautify it. We shut the mouths of gainsayers. We take away any occasion to blaspheme our Lord and Savior, not by anything we say, by everything we do. Lord, help us to see that difference. Look at 2 We'll skip 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. Do you know what it tells us there? It says that the Corinthians were living epistles known and read of all men. Was it because of they had bought some radio spots in Corinth? No. They were in the most lascivious city of the world at that time, Corinth. And they had changed lives. And Paul said, you are living epistles of Christ, showing the spirit of Christ, has, have, having written on your fleshy tables of the heart, known and read of all men. Everyone could see that the Corinthians were different. Let's always be different. Not different for different sake. Different because we walk in the light while they're in the darkness. And by walking in the light, we automatically reprove them because our functional, godly, moral, upright, scriptural lifestyle condemns them. We don't shove it in their faces. We just do it. We don't partake with them. While they're doing certain things, we're doing other things. While they're jesting and laughing, we're giving thanks. While they're committing fornication, uncleanness, and lasciviousness, we're loving our spouse and building a great marriage. And, we sh- and the difference exists. The difference is what made America great. Because America was different. The way people lived. Because of the influence of pulpits. Nobody came here because it said, under God, in the pledge. The nation was different, not because of two words in the pledge, or of in God we trust on coinage. It's because of different lives. Look at 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3, there's so many verses on this particular subject of living for Christ and having changed lives and others seeing those lives and shutting the mouths of opponents by the way we live. But let's go to 1 Peter 3. I, there, we've once preached a sermon entitled Living Epistles, which was dealing in depth with 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But here we are, 1 Peter 3, verse 1. Likewise, ye wives... Because in the preceding verses, it was servants on the job, and before that, it was citizens under government. If you look back in chapter 2, verses 12 through 17 are about submitting to government. Verses 18 through the end of the chapter are about submitting to employers. And so we come now to wives in 1 Peter 3. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. 
that if any obey not the word, they're unbelievers, they're pagans, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. And we certainly need to clarify the word conversation in that verse. Because it doesn't mean the wife talking to her husband. It means her lifestyle. The way the, way the word conversation is used in 1611 in our King James Bibles. While they behold your chaste conversation. See, that's something you watch, not something you hear. While they behold your chaste, pure, loyal, faithful, romantic love of them, your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Likewise, ye wives... Be in subjection to your own husbands. You've married a pagan. Don't leave tracks. Don't stick tracks in his lunch pail. Don't preach to him at night. Without the word, keep the word out of it. How can you be any plainer? Keep the word out of it. Submit, subject, love, chaste, loyal, win them while they look and watch at your consistent godly deportment as a great wife and are one without the word of God, without a track, without sticking a cassette tape in their tape player in their truck before they left for work in the morning. All the stuff that women have tried to do when the Bible says don't do it, and all the stuff that men do thinking that somehow this doesn't apply to them. And it does apply. Let's show them. Let's let them behold our different lifestyle. Are you able to read the big, bold print of the Bible? Are you able? This isn't fine print. This is big and bold. Soul winning is without using a Bible. Without the word. It says it. This is a very hard project of reproof when you're living with a person 24-7. Spouting off a few words. Quoting a Bible verse? Are you kidding? That doesn't take anything. The devil's a master at it. Did you hear the devil use the scriptures on Jesus Christ? And he quoted from a King James Bible at that. Doesn't mean anything. But look at 24-7 for a woman to have her guard up, to be loving and submissive and in subjection to her husband to win that man. It's not done with words, especially by a wife under authority. It's done by deeds. Winning a colleague should be easier. For you're with them only 40 hours a week. Surely you can get your guard up for 40 hours. You know, you can let it down the other 128. But the poor woman, she's got to be faithful 168 hours a week. I just love the word of God. It takes care of us. It tells us what we ought to be doing. I've dealt with the issue, but I want to fight more aggressively. Where'd you get that from? Where'd you get that aggression from? You didn't get it from a Bible. Nehemiah doesn't count. John the Baptist doesn't count. And Jude 1.3 doesn't count. That's in the church. One's a governor. One's a man sent from God that was called to preach to the whole nation and tell them where they were wrong. And he did his job just fine. And he doesn't need us. Some will get excited about 1 Peter 3.15 since we're close, at, close by Right there in 1 Peter chapter 3, run down to verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now that's a long verse. Are you full of meekness and fear? Before we start at the front end of the verse, the verse doesn't apply to you unless you're full of meekness and fear. 
So start there, just to make sure that you belong in this verse. The foundation of this verse is being is fully sanctifying God in your heart. Notice how it starts. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. That means to set and exalt God and His words in order for your life above anything else. You are fully committed and devoted to God Himself. Not to arguing, not to doctrine, to God. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be ready always with an answer is for questions on trial for your religion. This isn't on the job. 1 Peter 3.15 isn't on the job. Look at verse 14. But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. These Christians were being put on trial. And then if you get asked, give them an answer. Does it apply to on the job indirectly? Sort of. If someone asks you, sure you can answer them. But the context here in 1 Peter is one of suffering. Keep that in mind. This is not you trying to shove truth down anyone's throat, for they have to ask first. Until they ask, you shouldn't say anything, except give thanks. Give thanks. Give thanks that there was a fast food restaurant for you to stop at that did take five minutes for a two-minute transaction. Give thanks. You know, the same rule applies to a better passage in Proverbs 22, verses 17 through 21. It describes having the words of wisdom fitted in your mouth that you may be able to answer the certain words of truth to them that ask thee. Because until they ask, you're wrong. You weren't called to do it till they ask. And then are you doing it with meekness? Are you a humble submissive, modest, meek man in presenting the truth back to them kindly, gently, or arrogantly, harshly. Let's, the apostles did it the way they were supposed to do it. Let's make sure we do it the way we're supposed to do it because I believe God's way works. Yes. There were two officers that I worked with that were converted and baptized, partially or completely, by my influence. And do I wish I could go back and do better? I certainly do. What a wonderful opportunity on the job to be different from others. You know, we sang about being dare to be a Daniel. It's obvious that the poor people that wrote that hymnal didn't really know what it meant to dare to be a Daniel with the verses they put at the top. But let me read you some verses from Daniel chapter 6 that do have meaning. I don't know if you even look at the verses there, but they weren't the ones that count in Daniel's life. Here's the verses that count. Daniel 6.4, Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. How long had he been in the job? Let's round it off, 70 years. But they could find none occasion. How many? None. Nor fault. How many faults? None. How many occasions of wrongdoing? None. For as much as he was faithful... Neither was there any error or fault found in him. What a verse! I have a father that loved this verse. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Let them find something in your life that pertains to your religion, not from this, from your life. It isn't from what Daniel said. It's from what Daniel did. Right. We're going to have to find him 
in keeping the laws of his God and make there be a contradiction between the laws of his God and the laws of Babylon. But what a verse. We want to be like that. These are great verses. We want to be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke. Do you ever do anything that, is sub, that needs or could get a rebuke on the job? You don't want it. Get rid of it. Whatever could be rebuked, get rid of it. Because we want to be shining lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. You can do this. The apostles did it the way they were supposed to do it. We can do it the way we're supposed to do it. And guess who wrote how we're supposed to do it? Those apostles that did it the way they were supposed to do it wrote and told us how we're supposed to do it. 1 Timothy 5 is about women. Verse 14, I will therefore the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Notice, when we go to these verses, how do we stop we have adversaries. We have adversaries. How do we stop them? With words? With arguments? With blowing scripture at them? No, no, and no. We stop them this way. The women doing what they're supposed to do. Marry, bear children, guide the house. Be a domestic queen and be a great wife and give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully by being a busybody on social media, running around and shopping, and going from house to house. Where are you getting all that, Pastor? In the previous verse. It's in the previous verse, verse 13. They learn to be idle. So a, re a good woman is not idle. She is a hard-working woman. They don't wander about from house to house. And not only idle, but they're tattlers and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. And these people didn't have social media. Every woman that touches a Facebook account, you better make sure before God and the angels that you have a noble purpose for being on that stupid thing. Amen. Because use things for you to do. If you don't know what to do, ask a working woman that works in her home on what she does. There isn't time for that junk. And so verse 14 is to be understood along with verse 13. That is how there's no occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully because our women, our great women, their loyal wives, their hardworking mothers, their domestic queens, they're not idle, they're diligent, they're industrious, they get a lot done. And it has nothing to do with speech. It has nothing to do with posting a verse on some stupid Facebook account. That is not how you win anyone. Win them by your life. We have temptations now that they didn't have in the Bible. I only get to mention it once every little while, so when I do, get ready for it. I hate that stuff. That shows an idle person. If you have time for Facebook, you don't know how to manage your life. Because there's too much to do to sit around talking about what you had for breakfast along with some Bible verse. Because you put a Bible verse doesn't make it more noble. It doesn't make it more noble. It's your life. Look at chapter 6 and verse 1, right around the corner from 1 Timothy 5. Now it's guys. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. Most of you are going to get up tomorrow morning and you're going to put a yoke on and you're going to go salute your master. And look what it says, how you're supposed to do it. 
You are to count your own master worthy of all honor. Count him. Where do you do that? Is it here or in here and here? Count him worthy of all honor and then give it to him. Give him all honor. Thank you, Charlie, for remembering what we talked about at break time and wanting to give honor to masters. It was a pleasure to do it. It was fun to do it. They thought it was a nutcase. Didn't matter. It was the right thing to do. Do you count them worthy of all honor? And look what it says, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Do they need some link from our website so that the name of God isn't blasphemed? Is that how we do it? No. It's by your life. They don't blaspheme because of the way you respect authority. Do you know what it really means here? That a Christian really shows respect to an unbelieving boss. Can I prove that? Look at the next verse. And they that have believing masters. Oh, so verse 1 was an unbelieving master. So an unbelieving master should get how much honor? All honor. Does it work? It works. You know what? What if it didn't work? What if you got fired for honoring your boss with all honor? Is it still the right thing to do? It's still the right thing to do. And that isn't going to happen unless you've opened your mouth and offended them. Right. When you open your mouth and they jump down your throat and they rip you and they hate you and talk about you behind your back, you are not suffering for the gospel's sake and you're not being persecuted. Right. You're just being punished for being stupid. Right. Just make sure that you understand what's happening. Titus 2.5. Titus 2.5, it's back to women. Titus 2 is a tough chapter in that it covers old men, old women, young women, young men, and ministers, and then servants. Six categories in one short chapter of just 15 verses. But it says in verse 5, as it continues a list of the traits that ought to describe a woman, to be discreet, discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. Now that's the second half of a list of things young women ought to do. Notice what it says, that the word of God be not blasphemed. The word of God is not depending on your verbal arguments, your social media arguments, or your posting of verses, or your posting of songs that sound like a verse. It's doing those things right there in verses 4 and 5. And you know, after Paul tells Titus what to preach to six different groups of people, old men, old women, young women, young men, ministers, servants, he says in verse 15, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. I hope to some degree you know you have a pastor that believes Titus 2.15. If you hate slothfulness, don't quote Bible verses about diligence. Be the hardest worker at your company without workaholism. Can you work too much and show that you're stupid in another ditch? You can. Because then you're neglecting family. You're neglecting things that they understand are part of life as well as work. But if you hate slothfulness, there's a response to it. And Proverbs 28.4 told us, if, if we break the law somewhere, we're praising the wicked. 
But when we keep the law, we contend with them. Do you want to contend with this lazy generation? Then be the hardest worker on the job. If you hate rebellion against authority, then stop your compromise or disrespect in any of the five spheres of authority you're in. If you love the Bible, don't tell them about it. Live perfectly in obedience to it, since Bible haters are watching you. Show them how well the Bible works and how perfectly it's written by living it and having a better life than they have. This should, be, this should excite you. If you hate drunkenness, drink with the caution and limitations of being a king priest. If you hate bankruptcy, live within your financial means. Save systematically and avoid all risk, financial risk. If you hate rebellious youth, train your children like the Bible teaches and honor your own parents like you should. If you hate abortion, love your children, love your grandchildren, and promote happy families. If you hate complaining, make sure you give thanks and praise more than anyone else. If you hate moodiness, rule your spirit and do not give in to your childish bouts of despair. If you hate sodomy, have the most fantastic opposite sex marriage and love life ever. We already heard one man laying down the gauntlet today. If you love Christ, make your job full-time service to him as it is written. Let me show you. Colossians chapter 3. I grew up I grew up having to hear about full-time Christian service all the time. I went to Bob Jones University, and enrolling in the accounting program, they had a nickname for us, Repro, because we weren't in the Preacher Boys class. David, shame on you. <laughs> Jeff, shame on you. We were Repros. Because we weren't in the preacher boys class. It was a little nickname for a reprobate. Because we weren't in full-time Christian service. But where is that in the New Testament epistles? The general epistles, which are written by Paul and the other apostles to churches. Where is that? Well, let me show you how close we can get to it. And it's, it's work, how you work on the job. Colossians 3, 22. Servants. Okay, employees. Servants. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. These pagans that are over you, don't tell them they're pagans. Don't try to tell them you're a Christian. Don't try to tell them they're wrong. Obey in all things your pagan masters. All things. Everything they tell you to do on the job, do it. Not with eye service as men pleasers. Not the, not the weak motive that other people work for their bosses, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. You get to do it to God, obeying a pagan. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not unto men. Are you the most passionate employee at your company? I know a man in Christ who's heard the words many times, we have never met a man more enthusiastic than that man on the job. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily. It's out of your heart. There's passion. It's exciting to have a job. As to the Lord and not unto men. 
You're not doing it for them. You're doing it for a higher calling. It's for Christ. I'm going to tear this job up. I'm going to get it finished faster, and I'm going to get it finished better, and I'm going to be more cheerful about it than anyone else on the job. It's just a way of living, and it's what we want to do so that we can look like little apostles in our lives. Verse 24, Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. We never slow down thinking, I'm near the top of my pay grade. I'm near the top of my pay grade, and therefore, no matter how hard I work, there's only going to be marginal increase given to me. No, 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 no. That isn't how you think on the job. That's a men pleaser. You're trying to get a raise. Here it says, the reason you work is because you've got a big payday coming. And it ain't going to be measured in a few zeros. You're going to own the universe. Knowing that of the Lord, ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. What is the inheritance? We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ of the universe. What is the percentage increase over your take-home right now? Oh, there's mansions there. What are those mansions? They're apartments. Are they one bedrooms with the bathroom down the hall? Wrong. It's the inheritance of the universe. For ye serve the Lord Christ. If your boss comes to you tomorrow morning and says, I want you to go wash my car, would you do it? How clean would it be when you were done? Would you have done the inside along with the outside even though we didn't ask you for the inside? It's too much fun. I wish I was young. But he that doeth wrong. Forget what you say. He that doeth wrong. What can you possibly do wrong on the job? Just back up to verse 22. You don't obey in all things. You do it with eye service just to please men. You're not doing it fervently out of fear of God. You're not doing it heartily as to the Lord. You're forgetting your big payday. You're just looking for a raise. You're just bugging them about a raise because you want a raise from them. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. That is a sober passage of Scripture. There's no respect of persons. God is going to measure you by your doings. So let's be the best employees tomorrow. If you hate dysfunction, be the most organized and happy person they've ever seen. If you hate transgendering, be the perfect example of your gender to all. You don't have to go around talking about how much you hate transgendering. Just be thankful for your gender and be the best gender, be the best of your gender that's ever come down the pipe. Right? If you love truth, be the most consistent, faithful, persevering person to goals and rules. If you love Christ, Show what the world expects of Christians. They know that a Christian should be happy. They know that a Christian should love. They know that a Christian should be at peace. They know that a Christian should have lots of hope. So you should have all those things. And and, uh, uh, is there any reason why you shouldn't since you're a Christian? Now they're expecting it. That just adds a little bit to the, that's a little bit of icing on the cake. The Lord's given us the power to have these things. If you hate conflict, if you hate fighting, and the things that the Bible condemns about fighting, be the gentlest and most peaceful person ignoring all circumstances. If you hate jesting, be a sober talker and give lots of thanksgiving and praise. The apostles turned the world upside down. Let's turn Greenville upside down. Embrace your duty to live such a holy life that it turns the spotlight of God on their worldly darkness. The apostle Paul, let me play with a word for just a second. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. 
it is expedient for you. May I play with the word expedient for just a second? The Apostle Paul would say, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Will you make sure on the job, everywhere you go, extended family, neighbors, wherever you go, even if it's lawful, because I want to go after those of you that think you know the law, the Bible law, even if it's lawful, if it's not expedient, don't do it. What is expedient? Those things that would be profitable and helpful to those that are watching. What is edifying? Those things that would be helpful and build up those that are watching. All things are lawful. So now I've, I've spent my whole sermon on things that aren't lawful. You're doing something that's wrong, and therefore you're praising the wicked. Now you have an opportunity to do something right, yet you know that you don't need to do that right now because it's really a matter of liberty, and so you're not going to do that because it wouldn't be expedient for those that are around you. They could find fault with it, and it wouldn't be edifying, so I'm not going to do it. Now, I'm not talking about a commandment where God has said you're supposed to do something. I'm talking about a matter of liberty that would be lawful for you to do, but you go ahead and pass it up because you don't want to do anything that would be offensive to the cause of Jesus Christ. Do you get frustrated at the moral implosion and Christian compromise taking place all around us? Then embrace your duty to live such a holy life that it convicts and condemns others for their treason against our Lord. Words of accusation about others without a perfect life only add to your hypocrisy in the sight of God and men. Let the only charge they can ever bring against us is faith in Jesus Christ backed up by righteous living. The apostles turned the world upside down. The Lord's given us a little place, a little place in the upstate where you work, where you buy and sell and trade and transact business and where you live and your extended family. Let's reprove with godly lives by walking in the light with the benefit and power of the Holy Spirit and let them see their darkness and be convicted by it. And the Bible says that there's a probability that they can, there's a possibility that they can be saved without the word. And the Bible says that they may glorify your Father which is in heaven by your good works. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.